If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Psalm chapter 118, Psalm chapter 118. If you're new with us, and I know we have quite a few uh, that are today, generally uh, we preach through books of the Bible. We've been in the gospel according to Luke, but during this season uh, we are uh, taking four weeks on Advent, the first coming of Christ and the Advent season. That'll carry us through next Sunday, and then we will resume December 31st, our time uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And so this morning, uh, we are in Psalm 118, particularly verses 22 through 29. Now, in the first part of the Gospel of Luke, as you uh, know, uh, we've been there, and then uh, you're probably familiar anyways, we are given an account of the birth announcement of Jesus. Uh, I believe, and I've said this before, but one of my favorite readings of this birth announcement, Luke 2, verses 8 through 20, uh, one of my favorite readings of this text comes from Charlie Brown's Christmas classic. I don't know if you're familiar. If you're not, you need to become familiar. And so go home and watch that uh, following the service. But Charlie Brown, in a moment, that's when Charlie Brown, by the way, young people, because I'm an old man, that's when cartoons were good, okay? I don't know what you got now, but it's not as good. Charlie Brown, in a moment of great frustration over what Christmas had turned into, declared this, and some of you are picturing it in your mind. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And then Linus, everyone's favorite grown child who still carries a blanket, responds, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And what Linus does then is he walks out onto the stage of their Christmas program and he begins to quote Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. In this passage, one we know very well, and many of us probably could quote from memory, as shepherds are keeping watch of their flocks by night, as we've sung already this morning, an angel of the Lord appears to them and makes an astronomical announcement that shaped all of history. And the first thing the angel says to them when he appears to them is, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now this morning we're going to focus in on this good news of great joy. Joy, particularly what that is. You see, during the Advent season, our hearts are stirred with anticipation and joy. If we're following the instruction of Linus when he tells Charlie Brown what Christmas is all about, then we realize that the air is charged with the promise of something extraordinary. A promise that echoes through the ages, reaching, reaching us from the very first declaration that we hear of this angel in Luke chapter 2, which is not the first declaration. We can go back to the beginning and see this declaration, but from the first declaration to where we are in the present moment, this promise of great joy. Now, all of us are engaged in this pursuit of joy. All of us are. 
This is what we do in life. We pursue joy. We seek joy and harmony within ourselves. We seek joy and harmony within our homes, with our spouse, and our families, at our jobs, in our finances, with our health. We want joy to cross into and infiltrate everything we are involved in and permeate into everything we do. We just, that's what we want, is it not? We want joy and we want to be joyful people and we want happiness. I do not think anyone would say this morning, I just want to be joyless. Although some of us may live that way as we refuse to see all the good that God's been doing around us. None of us would say that outright, I'm sure. Today, we are considering the very heart of joy. True joy. A joy that finds its source in the advent of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, we're looking to a passage in Psalm 118 where we discover a melody of joy that transcends time and transcends all circumstances. It's a joy rooted in the rejection of a stone, a seemingly insignificant event in the world's eyes that holds the key to unlocking the boundless joy of Advent. The rejected stone that we're going to look at is not a symbol of despair, but a beacon of hope. It represents the rejection Christ faced, a rejection that paved the way for our redemption. And in this rejection, we find the very essence of Advent joy. A joy that goes beyond the tinsel and the lights of the season, reaching into the depths of the soul. A joy that was declared at the birth of Christ, later to reach its pinnacle at the resurrection of Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning. I know in my life, I don't know why why this is the case, especially this year for some reason, I feel like I've been in a battle for joy each day. I don't know if it's because the season has become so busy. I mean, everybody's calendar is stacked to the point where it's almost unbearable, is it not? I've had these conversations with so many as we've tried to schedule different things. I don't know if it's because the reality of inflation and how much stuff costs I don't know if it's my own lack of faith for whatever reason or some other circumstance, but I felt this weighty battle of joy significantly, almost, almost just going, let's just get the Christmas season over with so we can move on through this and get back to some normalcy. We know as Christians we have unspeakable joy. We know we are to rejoice in all things, but sometimes... We get beat down by ourselves and we get beat down by the world. And if this is you this morning, as we walk through Psalm 118, let's let the anticipation of joy fill this place. In the rejected stone, we find the cornerstone of our faith. In the rejection, we find the birthplace of joy that transcends all circumstances and points us to the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we walk through this text, as we walk through this text, the joy of Christ will kindle the flames of anticipation within us. That the joy of Christ's advent would be our guiding light, illuminating our hearts and dispelling any shadows that seek to dim its brilliance. 
Let us open our hearts to the joy of the Advent season, for in this rejected stone we discover a joy that is everlasting, a joy that is transformative and deeply rooted in the, in the divine plan of our sovereign God. So if you are able, would you stand as we read Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 through 29. The Word of God reads, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with corn, cord excuse me, up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. I will give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Pray with me. Father, You're good to us. May we see Your goodness in what You've done for us in Christ, and may the joy of the Gospel settle within us. Permeate from us. Regardless of the circumstances that surround us. May You bless the preaching of Your Word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let me briefly give you some context to this psalm before we start walking through it. The occasion for this psalm is not original, the original occasion is not fully known. There are various suggestions such as the dedication of the restored walls, the gates of Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles in 444 B.C. through Ezra chapter 3 in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, or the rebuilding of the temple as Israel has been delivered from their enemies. Regardless of the specific occasion for this psalm, it has been referred to as a hymn of deliverance, as it is apparent that there is some sort of festive procession taking place into Jerusalem following some great event. Now, we also know that this psalm was sung in later times at the Feast of Tabernacles and at Passover. We know that it, we probably picked up on some language here that you've seen in the New Testament. We know it was recited by the crowds as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on a donkey, uh, ultimately to face his death. And the last, this is the last psalm that Jesus sung uh, at the, at the, that Jesus sang at the Last Supper. But not only that, This is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. The apostles used this very psalm when preaching Christ as the rejected cornerstone of His church, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. And so this psalm pictures Israel keeping high festival on a day that is solemnly set apart with a joyous procession that is advancing towards the city. And as the procession nears the gates, those guarding the gates are summoned to open the gates in verse 19, that the people may go in and that the people may praise the Lord. And then as the procession passes within, passes into the city, the psalmist notes a circumstance which really forms the, a, a leading feature in this particular psalm, this poem. In building the new temple, 
There's some block, or building the gates, there's some block that had been uh, at first laid aside as useless. And then on fuller consideration, it had been lifted up to fill one of the most important positions in the structure, the cornerstone. The psalmist fastens onto this incident, and he sees it in the, striking, in, in the striking suggestion of Israel's own history, a suggestion which our Lord Himself takes up and applies to Himself as being the ultimate and complete fulfillment of this prophecy, again, along with the apostles, which is an occasion for joy, to be sure. And so this brings us then to verse 22 as I begin to make some observations from this text. My first observation, the rejected stone and God's sovereign plan. The rejected stone and God's sovereign plan. Look at 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, in the context of this psalm, this this rejoicing is of the leader of the procession when it is admitted into the gates of Jerusalem or the temple and advances toward this great altar where sacrifice would take place. Now we must remember as we consider this psalm and we consider what God is communicating to us through this psalm, we must remember that God constantly makes the weak things of the world confound the wise. Israel as a nation, was like a despised stone in Babylon. Now that it has a restored temple, now that it has a restored city, it might easily be thought of as having become the cornerstone of the temple or the cornerstone of religion in all of humanity, where you can find how to have a relationship with the one true God. And so the saying was true of David, King David at the time, the despised one among the sons of Jesse, but raised to be the ruler of Israel and the precursor to Christ. But this psalm was fulfilled in its largest sense by Jesus the Messiah. And so in Scripture, this imagery of a stone is a familiar image of the Lord. We actually, on our Wednesday night Bible studies this past uh, this past Wednesday, we're talking, we're going through the attributes of God, and we looked at the immutability of God, and we looked at several instances in Scripture where God is referred to as a stone that is immovable and immutable. And so, it particularly, this imagery of stone in Scripture points to the Messiah. Peter made it clear that the Jewish leaders had rejected their Messiah, the stone their stone in Acts 4.11, and He became to them a stone of stumbling. Christ, the rejected stone of Israel, was cast aside and seemingly insignificant, is what Peter is saying. Yet, the amazing part in all of this, if we were just to look at the Gospels or look up to the crucifixion or hear that sermon delivered by Peter and consider Christ as the rejected stone in, 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 in First Peter or in Acts chapter 2 that the Jews were the ones who killed Jesus yet leave off all the rest, we might be confounded or confused by what is happening. But here in Psalm 118, in this rejection, God is telling us there also lies a divine purpose. 
In His death, in His resurrection, in His ascension, Jesus Christ has become the chief cornerstone of the church. God's temple binding together all Jews and Gentiles together in one sanctuary, all who would repent and believe upon Christ. And one day, Jesus will return as the stone of judgment and crush the arrogant kingdoms of this world. And every Christian believer can use these verses to praise the Lord for that salvation that has been provided by God. It says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You see, this is the good news of great joy that's being declared in Luke chapter 2. In this rejection we find the first glimmers of the Advent joy that we seek. For the psalmist declares this, do not miss this, this is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's doing. Even in the rejection of our Savior, there is a divine plan at work. This good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples is that God has mercifully and sovereignly provided a way for us to have salvation through Him because we could not do it on our own. It is a plan that transcends human understanding, His plan of redemption and salvation. The exalted position of Christ in His church is not the work of man. And it does not depend for its continuation upon any builders or any ministers. God Himself has wrought the salvation and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the Lord's doing. We have joy, church, because our God has done what we cannot do for ourselves. We have joy because God loves us so much to mercifully and gracefully provide a way for us to know Him and be blessed by Him now and forevermore. Our joy is that God has brought salvation to us in Christ, welcomed us into His family through repentance and faith, and promises to preserve us, not only in this life, throughout eternity. The good news of great joy is that He has done this for us, as undeserving as we are, as we cannot do it for ourselves. Are you joyless this morning? Are you fighting to maintain joy in Christ this Christmas season? If that's the case, and if, we're, if you're not that, you may say, no, nah, man, I'm good this morning. Praise the Lord. You might not be good tomorrow. So hear this on that day when you wake up joyless. Consider the magnitude of this truth. Consider the magnitude. Consider the good news of great joy if you're joyless or when you fight for joy. Christ was born to die. And the rejection of Christ was not a setback, but a set up for the grand narrative of God's love for us. 
The rejected stone became the cornerstone of our faith. In the rejection, God was paving the way for a joyous reunion between humanity and its Creator. And not just humanity, but all of creation when Jesus returns. So yes, there is joy in knowing what God has done for us in sovereignly securing a salvation we could not achieve. But hear this as well. There is also great joy in recognizing that in His rejection, Christ's rejection, the stone's rejection, Christ sympathizes with us in our own rejection. In this world, especially as Christians, we experience all sorts of rejection. We may have been rejected by family, friends, co-workers, or at the very least by the ungodly of this world. To use Peter's words in 1 Peter, we are aliens in this world. And very often, we feel very much like that, do we not? This Advent, let us reflect on the rejected stone and find profound joy in the understanding that our Savior knows knows what it means to be rejected. He can empathize with our pain, and in His rejection, we discover the pathway to redemption. Even as we navigate the difficulties of this life, even as we navigate what might feel like many joyless days, and the holidays are tough, guys. Let's just be honest. Everybody knows that. Even as we navigate our own experiences of rejection, I want you to hear this. Let us not forget and let us always remember that God's sovereign plan is at work in our lives. Your life, my life, all of our lives at the same time. The rejection we face is not a detour, but a part of the divine plan God has for us. Our God can turn the ashes of rejection into the beauty of His purpose just as He did with Christ. And in the midst of hardship, in the midst of rejection, hold fast to the promise of joy. The good news of great joy. The rejected stone is the source of our joy, and in His advent we find ultimate fulfillment of God's plan. Good news of great joy is Christ, the rejected stone. It was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The psalmist says, Rejoice in the perfect, sovereign plan of our great God this morning. Second observation. The day of salvation and present joy. The day of salvation and present joy. Look at verses 24 and 25. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. When I read 24, I just want to like sing, right? When you're a kid, you learn that song. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. When I say stuff like this, guys, y'all look at me like I'm crazy. Nobody else learned that song as a kid? Thank you. Thank you. Every time I I hearken back to my childhood, everybody's like, man, where'd you grow up at, you know? (laughs) In the hills of Tennessee, we did it differently. People made fun of me when I moved here about how I talked, and I made fun of them, all right? I sounded like a hillbilly. They sounded like a bunch of rednecks, you know? (laughs) Now I don't know what I sound like, probably both. So in the context of the psalm, and then y'all get me off track when you look at me like I'm crazy because it messes with my head. In the context of the psalm, it appears that this new era has commenced in the life of Israel. 
The day of David's enthronement, the rejection of Israel from the hardship they faced, the rebuilding of the walls and or the temple was the beginning of better times for Israel. There was a turning in the history, if you will, it seemed. And so the psalmist meant that this is a day of joy. This is a day of gladness, of the revived national and religious life of Israel. But taken with what we know from our Lord in a far higher sense, today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be, rejoice and be glad in it. It really takes on a, a whole host of meanings, does it not? You see, as Christians, we can rejoice in a lot of days. We, re we can rejoice in the day of Christ's resurrection, and we do, right? We gather on Easter as He defeated sin and death once and for all. We can rejoice in the Lord's day, what we're doing here today, as it's the designated day set aside for us to gather as God's people, as the gathered church to be encouraged and strengthened by the Word of God and by one another. We can rejoice in the day of our conversion, the day in which God opened our eyes to the beauty of the Gospel. We can rejoice in the day of revival and religious prosperity as God gives seasons of church life in which the Spirit is working mightily. Yet, as we consider and think through the advent of Christ from Psalm 118, our hearts are drawn to this symphony of joy that echoes with the melody of the day of salvation and the present joy we find in Christ. The psalmist's words resound with a declaration that this is the day the Lord has made, which once more causes us to ask the question, what day is this? It is the day of Christ's advent, the day of salvation that forever changed the course of human history. Advent is not just a season marked on our calendars, church. It is a divine moment, a day that bears the weight of eternity. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We rejoice today as we do every day in the coming of Christ and what that means for us. In the birth of Christ, the day of salvation has dawned upon the world. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son born of a woman. This is the good news of great joy. It is a day that heralds the arrival of hope, the fulfillment of, of many years of promises, and the beginning of a new era. The joy we experience in this season is not merely a sentimental happiness. It is rooted in the reality of God's redemptive plan unfolding before our very eyes. Now, I will be the first to admit, I love Christmas. I love Christmas, man. I don't know why. I love it. I tell my children all the time about growing up in the hills of Tennessee, snowed on Christmas, fire in the fireplace, like a Hallmark movie. I love the decorations. I love the lights. I love the same movies we watch every single year many, many times. But church, my joy is not contingent upon the sentimentality of the season. My joy in this season is rooted in the revelation of God in Christ Jesus through taking on flesh. This is the day the Lord has made. The psalmist then encourages us to rejoice and be glad in the day. Why? Why rejoice in the advent of Christ? Why rejoice in this stone that is rejected, that is the Lord's doing? Because the day of salvation is not a distant memory, but a present reality. This happened, by the way, in real time. 
The joy we find in Advent is not based on fleeting circumstances. It is anchored in the eternal truth that our Savior has come and that He is the presence of God in flesh among us. Save us, we pray, O Lord, the psalmist says. O Lord, we pray, give us success. That is, Hosanna, save now. This is the very thing people shouted when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And note the words, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God save our King. Let David reign. Or as we who live in these latter days interpret it, let the Son of David live forever. Let His saving help go forth throughout the nations. This was the peculiar shout of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so long as we dwell here below in these tabernacles of clay, we cannot do better than to use the same cry. Perpetually, let us, church, pray that our glorious King may work salvation in the midst of this earth because today is the day the Lord has made, the day of salvation. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Consider the implications of this joy. Today is the day of salvation. Let us rejoice in this day. It means that in the midst of our daily challenges, we can find solace and gladness in the knowledge that we serve a God who entered into the world, who understands our struggles, and who offers us salvation even today. The day of Christ's advent is a perpetual source of joy, a wellspring that never runs dry. This does not eliminate our hurts. It does not eliminate our struggles. It does not eliminate our pain. Those things are very real and will be real until Christ returns in His second advent. But it gives us this truth, gives us joy in the midst of them knowing that God has done something to eternally eternally, not temporally, eternally alleviate this pain from us. He has done something in Christ by sending Jesus, by becoming our salvation so that we can have joy, we can have hope, even among this fallen creation that is hopeless. We need not minimize the reality of these struggles, even this time of year, but we must magnify our joy in the midst of those struggles because God will one day put an end to all of them because of what He has done in Christ, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. So as we continue to walk and navigate through the complexities of life, church, let us not relegate joy to a seasonal sentiment. Instead, let us embrace the present joy that flows from the reality of Christ's advent each and every day. In the midst of uncertainties, and we all have plenty of those, do we not? In the midst of uncertainties, let the assurance of salvation be a source of unshakable joy each and every day. My world is falling apart. Christ came to redeem you. My marriage is on the rocks. Christ came to redeem you and He wants to redeem your marriage. My children are wayward. Christ came and today is the day of salvation. Share the gospel and pray that they repent and believe. And let others see this. Do not put on the happy face for the sake of masking your pain and your struggles. 
but exude joy in the midst of your pain and your struggles and tell others that they can have the same in Christ. When we have joy in Christ, and when the joy of Christ Advent, Christ's Advent permeates our hearts, it spills over into the lives of those around us, even in some of the most difficult times we face. Rejoice, for this is the day the Lord has made, our day of salvation. Maybe, maybe, maybe this morning you've never had a day of salvation because you've never repented and believed in Christ. Maybe you've never bowed the knee to the Lordship of Jesus. May today be your day of salvation. There's breath in your lungs. It's not too late. Third observation, Christ, the source of light and true joy. Look at verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the song of the, sa the saved soul, church. It is a falsehood when sung by the godless and the unsaved, but if we are Christ, then this song is ours. Now, if you look back in verse 25, in verse 25 and 26, the psalmist voices a heartfelt cry, words that echo the anticipation of a Savior, the, the yearning for deliverance. And in them, we find the very essence of our Advent joy, the recognition of Christ as the source of our salvation. The rejected stone, once cast aside, is now acknowledged as the cornerstone of our redemption. The rejected stone, once cast aside, has been the one raised up to secure our salvation. And this cry for salvation is not a desperate plea into the void. It is a recognition of the one who brings true joy. Again, our joy is not rooted in the fleeting circumstances or temporal pleasures of life. It's grounded in the eternal truth of that our Savior has come and that He continues to come into our lives through His Spirit, bringing salvation and reconciliation. Our joy is not contingent upon the absence of challenges, but on the presence of Christ. He is the one who saves, the one who redeems, and the one who brings joy. And this is, the psalmist says, this is the light of Christ that shines through the darkness. God has made His light shine upon us. A source of perpetual joy. And only the power of God could have brought such a light, such light and joy as spring forth from the work of our King and Messiah Jesus. We have received the light by which we have known the rejected stone to be the head of the corner, and this light has led us to enlist beneath the banner of the once despised Nazarene, who is now the King of all kings of the earth. With the light of knowledge has come the light of joy. For we are delivered from the powers of darkness, and we are translated into the transferred into the kingdom of God's Son. And our knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus came not by the light of nature, nor by the light of reason, nor did it arise from the sparks which we ourselves have kindled within us, nor did we receive it from men, but we received this light from the mighty God alone who has revealed it to us. We give to Him our praise and our thanksgiving. Verse 28 says, He has given us grace and promised us glory. 
And we are constrained to ascribe all glory to Him. And we give thanks to Him because His steadfast love endures forever. Listen, it never ceases and it never minimizes. It is fully love all the time. Completely and perfectly. And the psalm concludes as it began making a complete circle of joyful adoration. We can well suppose that the notes at the close of the loud hallelujah were more swift, more sweet, and more loud than at the beginning. In the advent of Christ, a glorious light has dawned, dispelling the darkness of sin and despair. The light is not in uh, a soft glow, it is an eternal radiance of God's presence. And in Christ, we find the light that guides our path, the light that reveals the truth, and the light that brings warmth to our hearts. So let me close with this. As we reflect on Psalm 118 and the symphony of joy that accompanies the Advent season, let our hearts resound with joy, gratitude, and anticipation. In the rejection of the stone, we discover the unfolding plan of our sovereign God. In the recognition of the day of salvation, we find present joy rooted in the reality of Christ's advent. And in the cry for salvation and the declaration of God's light shining upon us, we unearth the profound source of our true joy, which is our Savior, Jesus Christ. This Advent, church, Let the joy we have encountered not be confined to what we are doing during our time this morning. Instead, may it be a transformative force in our lives, a joy that infiltrates our daily existence, shapes our perspectives, and becomes a wellspring of hope in times of challenge in every day. The joy of Advent is not a superficial sentiment, but a profound truth that extends beyond the manger and echoes throughout eternity. It is a joy that accompanies us in the valleys and it is a joy that accompanies us on the mountaintops in the ordinary and in the extraordinary moments of life. It is a joy that draws us closer to the heart of God and compels us to share the light of Christ with a world yearning for hope. May the joy of Christ's advent be our guiding light. And in our interactions, may it radiate through our words, May it radiate through our actions, bringing a glimpse of eternal joy we have found in our Savior. May we be bearers of this joy, messengers of hope, and instruments of God's transformative love. Pray with me.